I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I am Anne-Sylvain Chassani, the World News Editor. And this week, we're looking at transatlantic relations as the Trump administration appears to turn its back on its traditional European allies. In a sign of Washington's shifting allegiances, the U.S. president on Monday welcomed Hungary's illiberal leader, Viktor Orban, to the White House, days after his Secretary of State abruptly cancelled a meeting with Germany's Angela Merkel. Joining me on the line from Washington, D.C. is Dmitry Sevastopoulou, the FT's Washington bureau chief, and from Berlin, Guy Chazan, our Berlin bureau chief. My first question goes to you, Dmitry. Donald Trump was full of praises for Viktor Orban on Monday. He congratulated him for his, quote, bloke up against refugees from Syria and his work to protect the Christian communities. Can you give us a bit of details and explain why this visit is so important and telling? Well, I think one of the things that we've learned about Donald Trump over the last two years, and this is one of the things that many Europeans have concerns about, is that he seems to want to saddle up to leaders who are authoritarian, strong men, you know, very hardline. You know, and there's a long list, whether it's Erdogan in Turkey or Orban in Hungary, Kim Jong-un in North Korea, who Donald Trump said he fell in love with, or Vladimir Putin in Russia. Trump, when he meets these leaders, at least publicly, doesn't criticize them for some of the things that they're doing in their own countries to threaten democracy. On the other hand, he seems willing to criticize Angela Merkel or Theresa May or President Macron of France. So there's a kind of dichotomy. Trump seems to like settling up to these strong tough authoritarian leaders. And yet he, at the same time, he seems to be dismissing some of the concerns and pushing away European allies of America who have helped maintain the kind of peace across the transatlantic now for 70 years. So as you said, the relationship has fast deteriorated since Donald Trump came to office. The US and its key European allies have diverged on a number of issues. Can you list them for us? I mean, it's really wide from climate change, trade, Iran. Yeah. Well, I mean, from the very beginning, it's a long list. I mean, one of the things that President Trump did early in his presidency was he withdrew the U.S. from the Paris Climate Accord, which sent ripples across Europe and the rest of the world. Later on in his tenure, he withdrew America from the Iran nuclear deal that America and some of its European allies had signed with Tehran in 2015. And that has led now to a kind of a more bellicose stance on Iran. He also has been incredibly critical of NATO. Now, in criticizing NATO, he's not the first president. President Obama and President Bush frequently said that NATO allies needed to pay more for their defense. And I remember traveling to Europe with Donald Rumsfeld and Robert Gates, and they were constantly sending this message to the Europeans. But Donald Trump has done it in a much more aggressive way. And I think one of the most telling examples was last summer in Brussels at a NATO summit. He was very critical of Angela Merkel, both in public meetings and in private meetings. 
and he shocked many of the leaders who were in attendance. So, I mean, there are other issues there as well to do with Huawei and 5G telecom networks and other things. But I think they're some of the main ones that have really created kind of fault lines in the transatlantic relationship. Guy, I'm turning to you now. Defense Secretary of State Mike Pompeo cancelled a meeting with Angela Merkel last week, invoking rising tensions in the Middle East. What was the reaction in Berlin? I think there was absolute horror that it was seen very much as a snub. It was supposed to be his first trip to Berlin since he became Secretary of State. And it was very hotly awaited and he just didn't turn up. And I think there was shock that he then went on to Britain and even saw the Archbishop of Canterbury. So, you know, even Justin Welby was more important to him as a priority than Angela Merkel. There was real dismay. Lots of commentary in the German press basically saying that the US-German relationship is now basically in tatters and what are we going to do about this? There's a feeling of crisis, really, in a relationship which has been one of the main pillars of Germany's post-war identity, really, for 70 years now. Why do you think that Mr. Trump targeted Germany in particular among its European allies? What's your assessment of that? Well, there are personal reasons as well as political reasons. The chemistry between Angela Merkel and Donald Trump has never really worked. You know, she really comes across as a sort of professor and he's like the naughty boy who didn't do his homework. He doesn't like being lectured and Merkel does have a tendency to lecture. One of the first things she did when he was elected president, she sent him a message saying, we'll look forward to working with you, but very much on the basis of our shared values of respect for human rights and democracy and so on. That was perceived as a real slight to Donald Trump, basically a smackdown saying you're going to have to behave. And he didn't take kindly to that. But there are other aspects. You know, it's not just the chemistry. America is very antagonized, very exercised by Germany's failure to meet its commitment, which it gave in 2014, to spend 2% of its GDP on defense. It's nowhere near that target. And in fact, recently it published its budget estimates for the coming years. And it looks like it's actually going to go down as a percentage of GDP it's spending on the military. So that was seen as a real red rag to Donald Trump's bull. He's also, I mean, there's a very famous uh, interview he did with Playboy magazine from the 90s uh, where he complained about how many German cars there were on Fifth Avenue in New York. And he's had Mercedes and BMW in his sights for many, many years. So it didn't surprise the Germans at all that he started talking about imposing import tariffs on European cars. And he's been complaining for a long time about the size of the German current account surplus, which, of course, a lot of Germany's allies in Europe have also drawn attention to over the years. What do you think are the far-reaching consequences for Germany? What are the Germans, what kind of lesson they're drawing from this hostility longer term? Do you think there's a realization that Germany and Europe must be more independent from a defense point of view or, you know, foreign policy point of view? What is your sense? Absolutely, yeah. I was at a conference where they were talking about this and one speaker said, Germany's success is built on three elements, integration with the EU, the transatlantic security guarantee and Germany's access to open markets worldwide. And Trump threatens all of those three things. So there's a sense here that there's a kind of existential threat posed by Trump's America first ideology to all those things that have made Germany such a huge success over the last few decades. 
So there definitely is a feeling that they have to respond in some way. I mean, it's all very tentative at the moment, though. I mean, for example, they're talking about developing much more of a kind of foreign policy competence in the EU and more of a sort of independent defence posture and, you know, maybe getting rid of unanimity in EU decisions on foreign policy so that they can have more qualified majority voting, that kind of thing. But it's all rather tentative. And even when they do talk about building up their own defence capabilities, that gets them in hot water with the Americans. We wrote a story saying how America was criticising the latest initiatives for military cooperation between EU countries, the, uh, the PESCO, the Permanent Structured Cooperation Initiative, and EDF, the European Defence Fund, because they feel that it's not really compatible with NATO, that it produces too much duplication and diversion of scarce defence resources, and that it sets up a necessary competition between NATO and the EU. And so there's this sense of frustration in Europe over this. It's like, you tell us we need to do more for our defence and then we try and do it. You complain. So the relationship is really scratchy at the moment, as we can see on a number of different fronts. Exactly. So they have this contradictory move from the US. Do you want to jump in, uh, Dimitri? It's true that every time Europe speaks about more independence on the security front, the US, you know, gets angry and gets a letter of warning. But on the other hand, you know, you get a sense that the US is kind of retreating from Europe. What's your interpretation? Well, there's definitely an element of Donald Trump getting a little bit of a taste of his own medicine sometimes when the Europeans say that they want to develop their own defense capabilities. But I think it's also important to stress that this issue between the U.S. and Europe on defense spending, it really isn't just a Donald Trump issue. I mean, he is the one who is addressing it in a much more assertive, much more aggressive, and some people would say overly aggressive way. But it's something that has stretched back now for more than a decade in the U.S. And the U.S. has been constantly saying to the European countries, and particularly Germany, because it is the biggest economy in Europe, that they need to spend more. So I think it's an issue that's not going to go away. And even if Donald Trump loses the election in 2020, I think a Democratic president will be much friendlier to traditional U.S. allies. And I was just in New Hampshire on the campaign trail with Cory Booker and Beto O'Rourke and Joe Biden, and all of them were talking about the need to rebuild and to strengthen American alliances with Europe. But notwithstanding that, I still think whoever is president after 2020 is still going to put pressure on Europe to spend more money on defense. And if Germany and some of the other countries who haven't met this 2% target haven't reached it, then I think you're still going to have tensions on that issue. Just to go back to one thing that Guy said, I really do think the car issue is critical. I mean, Donald Trump has had a bee in his bonnet about cars for a long time. At the end of this week, he's going to potentially decide whether to put tariffs on imports of European cars. So this really is something that the trade relationship is something that really gets him. And also, when he was in Europe last year, another thing that he criticized Angela Merkel for is the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that will bring Russian gas into Europe. And Donald Trump and some of his team are saying, you want us to spend money to defend you against Russia, and yet you're buying Russian gas. On the other hand, the Europeans say, hold on a second, you're the president who hasn't criticized Vladimir Putin for orchestrating a campaign to interfere in the American elections. So there's a lot of things crossing the Atlantic, and it's very hard to see how any of this 
gets any better um, while Donald Trump is in office. Tensions are escalating in the Middle East over Iran with a rising threat of war and some echoes of 2003 when the US and some European countries disagreed on whether to go to war with Iraq dictator Saddam Hussein. Dimitri, what are the broader security ramifications of these poor transatlantic relations? Are we entering a new testing phase? Well, the big question that's emerged in the last few days in Washington is are we returning to the early years of the Bush administration where it appeared that there was a constant drumbeat among Iran hawks for the U.S. to take military action against Iran? Now, we know that John Bolton, the national security advisor, has asked the Pentagon to dust off its war plan for Iran. Now, the caveat there is that the Pentagon has war plans for everything, and they're periodically dusting them off. But when a story comes out that they're dusting them off Iran at a time when Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, John Bolton and others are being very aggressive in their rhetoric towards Iran, it raises questions as to whether the U.S. is contemplating taking military action. And I think that's something that would be a huge divide across the transatlantic. I mean, as much tension as there was when George W. Bush invaded Iraq. Do you remember relations then between George W. Bush and Gerhard Schroeder in Germany were actually very bad because of the opposition to the war in Germany? But I think we would see something that would be exponentially worse if the U.S. did take any kind of military action in Iran. So people are watching very, very closely right now to see whether this is just John Bolton and the Hawks making bellicose noises just to scare Iran or whether there's actually something fundamentally happening behind the scenes. My thanks to Dimitri and Guy. That was really fascinating. And that's it for this week. Till next week, goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.